Daddy's Beard, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Jan Dekiel. Alex, listen to this. A gay couple in Australia are father of one child through surrogacy, four child through co-parenting with two lesbian couples, and five other children through identity release sperm donation, which we call non-sperm donor. Can you do the math? Is uh, your watch vibrating? I mean, it, it sounds like <laughs> Brad and Angelina if they couldn't find a place to pick the kids up. I don't know. Let's say that was 16. How did I do? You were never good at math. I'm really good at math. <laughs> But we have two kids and it looks like 16 to yes, you. Yes, that's right. So. Hello and welcome to Daddy Square, the Gay Dads podcast. I'm Jan. I'm Alex. And how was your week, Alex? How was my week? Other than the normal work stuff, etc., we had a little, little thing with one of our kids. Yes. That I have not experienced yet, and I just wanted to share with our listeners that, you know, we got one of those emails. The kids are four, four-year-old twins. We got this email from our teacher uh, that he had his name, the kid's name as a subject line, and you sort of gulp when you get that yeah. email. And I opened the email, and it, more or less it just came down to the fact that he had been nasty to the teacher and had told the teacher to shut up at the age of four. Alex and I both had panic attacks at the same time in two different areas of the city of Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm not going to say I had a panic attack. I, I was, did. I was really affected by it more than I thought I would. And I think that the reason why is, you know, we've complained on this show before about them having tantrums or them being crazy or it being difficult. But there's just this, there's this one thing, there's this moment in time where innocence goes away, where the kid is not just being kind of selfish to himself, but he has elected to be mean to somebody else. And that is so hard because you don't want to think that your kids are ever going to be mean. And it, and it was, it hurt. And I was kind of, I had trouble focusing during the workday. And there are parents of kids who are significantly older, who are rolling around on the floor right now, laughing uh, at this mm -hmm. response. because they're like, you know, wait till the kid knocks over a liquor store. Uh, but uh, it, it was really just this moment in time that was, uh, it was really hard to accept. So the teacher told us what, what happened. And um, she told us that he told her not to tell us. So we didn't want to jeopardize the connection between the teacher and our kids. So what we did is that we tried to make him tell us. Right, to sort of draw it out of yeah. him, which, 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 which worked. Which we did, yeah. yeah. And uh, he told us everything, like how she accompanied him to the principal's office and he sat there for a yeah. while. And, and here's the thing, my kid being t uh, taken to the principal's office is actually really cool if it were for another reason, because like I was sent to the principal's office any number of times, but it was like because of my politics. I love the idea that uh, that my kids can be a little bit badass, but there's a huge difference between badass and mean. Yeah. 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 We took it very personally and seriously, and I even cried. Well, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I just, during the, that evening, after he told me, I started crying. Uh, I don't know if it was from relief or that he actually told me and right. that we can work this out or from worry that, you know, this is how it is and we don't really know how to fix it. Yeah. We really want it. We I really still, want our kids to be polite and, and nice to everyone. Yeah, I mean, polite, yes, but I have to tell you, it's it's deeper than polite. 
I just don't want my kids to be assholes. I, I want my kids to be kind human beings. And I think that they will be. I believe in that. I think that we're generally decent people. And the example that we provide, I hope, will be more important than any of the other influences. Yes, and if you have any idea of how to help us in this subject or any suggestions or any comments on this, you can always write to us at hello at daddysqr.com or even text us or leave us a voice message at 213-793-8939. 213-793-8939. That is good. You know that I posted on Instagram a couple of days ago a picture of me trying to listen to Ben's tantrum with the caption, what? Your tantrum is not loud enough. <laughs> and one of the comments was from Chris, a father of a two-year-old. I think he lives in the UK. He wrote, I'm enjoying a two-year-old tantrum right now. Instagram is my happy place. <laughs> and I just say, I want to say that it's so... I know that most of parents like to post and, and comment how wonderful their kids are and how amazing this experience is. But when you when we get comments like this, we feel so much better. It's true. It's Just true. Because Less isolated. It's, it's very, yeah, it's the truth. And, and yo, I salute you. Yo. The hell's yo? I don't know. <laughs> um, what's his name? His name is Chris? Yeah. Hey, Chris, listen, just one thing. If Instagram is your happy place... You gotta get out more, man. Find a babysitter. Go to a Starbucks or something. No, I think it's a great solution for, for the, no, I, the I, actual I, minutes where they make you insane. I hear you. I agree. Today we're going to talk about uh, gay divorce, and it's not a depressing episode, Alex. It's an LGBT history episode. This is how I see it. Right. A couple of months ago, I read a great article in The Atlantic about gay divorce. Uh, marriage equality means divorce equality. And Stephen Petro wrote, I feel pride as well as sadness about my split from my husband. We asked Stephen to come on our show and talk about divorce equality. I think that um, this is very important because since marriage equality, people talk about gay marriage, but not so much about equality, about divorce for obvious reasons. It's just not fun. Right. Um, Stephen Petro is an award-winning journalist and a book author who is best known for his Washington Post and New York Times essay on aging, health, and civility. Civility. Wow, you are having a hard time today. Civility. I have to admit something. I'm a bit of a groupie for certain types of journalists, and he's one of them, you know, and no offense to him, but like if we got Judy Woodruff from the PBS NewsHour to come on to our podcast, I think I might actually drop dead on the spot. There are certain journalists that have a level of quality to their work and a, a certain amount of integrity in being journalists that I really appreciate makes me feel good at a time when an awful lot of what you read and what you see is crap and he has for a long time represented a real thoughtful approach to things and then to be able to talk to him about his own experience uh, was really uh, meaningful to me so yeah I, I actually was surprised that he agreed to talk about it uh, this thing that it's so personal and also during the interview he said like at the end of the interview he said you know, I wrote about this stuff, but I never talked about right. it, which makes a lot of difference. Agreed. You know, Jan, you and I tried and tried to have children the old-fashioned way, and then we found out that it turns out... We're still trying. Well, it's true, we're still trying. Turns out you can't, two men cannot make a baby without a certain amount of assistance. 
Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast Season 3, is sponsored by Love is Family by ORM Fertility, your gateway to fatherhood. Research begins at loveisfamily.com. Loveisfamily.com. Thank you so much. And now let's go to the interview with Stephen Petro. Stephen, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Um, can we talk about what you do for a living? Sure. It's up to you, but I just, you know, it's, it's, it's great for us to lay the groundwork a little bit um, by... Uh, I, I thought you were implying that I'm a sex worker. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, sex worker, public radio, these are, these are almost interchangeable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, a lot for not enough. <laughs> oh, my. So, a little bit about myself. Let's see. You know, professionally, I'm a book author. I've written... Um, five books about civility and manners. Uh, I Uh-oh. currently am an opinion columnist for USA Today and a uh, columnist for the Washington Post. Uh, and I'm working on a new book called Stupid Things I Won't Do When I'm Old. <laughs> That's kind great. Of a, it's kind of a funny take on a not funny subject to many. Uh, and, um, and I guess, you know, Personally, which is probably one of the reasons that we're, we're talking today, is uh, I was partnered and then married to my husband for 14 years, and we got divorced about two years ago. Yeah. And so I, even though I don't like the phrase, generally, I am a gay divorcee. <laughs> yeah. Um, and which and is just... I just want to say thank you so much for uh, willing to talk about this. I know it's not like an easy subject to talk about. Let's talk about gay divorce. I want to yeah. jump right in with the first um, and possibly most annoying question of all. Okay. Um, uh, did you guys get divorced um, after gay marriage became the law of the land? They got married yeah. before. Uh, absolutely. You, right. You, you, can't, you can't legally get divorced. Well, uh, you said you... Sure, but you said you had been married for, what did you say, 14 years? No, we were partnered, um, partnered slash married for 14 I and see. married for um, four. I see. So, yeah, my question would be at a time when gay marriage is such a big deal, you know, to the community. Did people talk to you about your responsibility to stay married as a symbol of success? And was that actually any part of the challenge and experience as you went into divorce? That's a good question, because it's not like I talked to a lot of my friends about the fact that I was even contemplating uh, getting divorced. So I didn't have any of those conversations. But you know, as as a um, professional who was giving advice to LGBTQ people about their relationships, who wrote a book about uh, gay weddings, I I did feel you know a certain sense of responsibility uh, about doing it. You know, in an appropriate way. And of course, I felt a huge amount of sadness um, in, in you know in what devolved or. Or evolved, but uh, it, it really wasn't um, an ongoing conversation. Right. Uh, obviously, the personal side of it is, uh, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but it certainly feels this way to me. The personal side of it is the part that matters. Um, I was just curious about your experiences with people around you, even after uh, they found out that you were going to be divorced and and got divorced, um, you know, about what does it mean? What does it mean that a gay man is getting divorced after we worked so hard to get the right to do it? 
to get married in the first place? Yeah, there was definitely, you know, there was definitely a good bit of that. And, you know, and I, I did have that conversation in my head as well. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, we had, we had spent a lot of time as, as a couple before choosing to get married. And, you know, as with most couples, opposite sex or same sex, you know, we went in with, with full hearts. And, of course, when something doesn't work out, you know, there's the personal disappointment. And then, you know, and then as I said to friends, you know, I never imagined in this lifetime that I would be married as a gay man, nor did I ever, ever imagine that I would be divorced. Right. Uh, it just wasn't even like within the realm of my very vivid imagination, I'll say. Right. Do you think that the very act of formalizing marriage, because you guys had been together for a very long time, had any effect on the quality of the relationship and the eventual divorce? You know, I have friends who do say that having married, that wound up having a negative impact on their relationship, and some of those couples have divorced. I don't think that was the case for us. I'm other more personal reasons that really sort of became uh, clearer in those last couple of years that would have led us to break up whether we were married or not. And the fact that we were now married meant that that breakup was a legal separation and then and then a divorce. Mm-hmm. If you look back now, how long has it been since you got divorced? Two years, right? Two years. Yeah. So if now you look back at the relationship, why did you get divorced? I'm trying to think, you know, where my zone of privacy is on this. That's yes. completely um, fine, of course. You know, I, you know, I can only speak for myself, and my ex cannot speak for himself here. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I'm, I want to be both careful and respectful about that. The best and the fairest way for me to describe it is, as a friend described it to me, you know, if you think when a couple starts off, think of them as like, railroad tracks you know and um you hope that they're parallel and that they're going to stay parallel and you'll stay in tandem forever but if they're just off a little bit like imagine you know the one on the right is sort of bending a tad to the right and the one on the left is bending a tad to the left well they're close at the beginning but 14 years later they have really diverged a huge amount and you're in different places and that's how i understand what happened to us uh We just wound up in really different places, wanting um, wanting different things out of our lives at that point. And there, there wasn't really um, a bad actor. It came to sort of a gradual end. We did a lot of work to try to prevent that from happening and um, you know, then made the decision. Do you think there's like a time from your experience, when is the time for couples to get divorced? Well, I don't, I don't think I can really... give advice on that you know I think it would take a, a therapist or a psychologist who's working with an individual or with a couple you know to you know to come up with that that you know to come up with a helpful framework for that I know that in my case our case I had been in individual therapy we had been in couples therapy you know we we had many many conversations and you know I also had been consumed in a certain way with the Should I stay? Should I go? And when I turned 59, I said to myself, well, I cannot live with this indecision forever. It's, it's just, you know, I'm sort of, I'm not in and I'm not out of the relationship. So I said, by the time I turned 60 in a year, 
you know, I will have made a decision. I will have either made a decision to reaffirm in my head, I'm, I'm present and intact in this marriage, or, or it will be over. And, um, and so, as it turned out, we started the process of legal separation within, within that year. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to jump back and give you a little more narrative on our relationship. Uh, Jim and I met in San Francisco in 2004, and we lived in the Bay Area for two years as a couple. And then we moved to North Carolina in the summer of 2006. So we're talking about two very different environments to be gay or to be LGBTQ. Uh, and yes, many fewer out couples in North Carolina, duh, right? Living in the, what's called the Triangle, which is Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, is a very progressive part of the state. You know, I think 80 or 90% voted for Obama. Um, but uh, we were, we were I'm, I'm going to say we were a novelty. It's just really that there weren't a lot of committed gay couples. Right. And, and there was also more overt homophobia. Now, I remember early on when we lived here, we got rear-ended in an accident, and there was three cars, and there was an older woman in the middle car, and, and Jim and I went to, to help her, and she was, I think, a little bit in shock. She wasn't hurt. And uh, we befriended her, and then she started to ask some questions, like, and they were, um, are you brothers? And um, I was like, no. And Jim, Jim is, was never quite as out as I was, but and I, I just always wanted to be truthful. But then she asked, you know, um, you know, she asked another question that was equally oblique. And finally I said, no, <laughs> Alex, to use your, your phrase, we're partners, we're, we're, we're lovers. And, um, and she looked down at her steering wheel and then she just closed her window and she never acknowledged us again. Wow. And yeah, that was painfully um, startling and such a surprise. I mean, it was really kind of, it came out of, out of nowhere, but a lot of these feelings exist and we don't, we don't get the chance to interact with them. And we were, so here we were out of our orbit in this accident and, you know, and that happened, Right. you know, that was probably in 2007, 2008, you know, and, and then North Carolina went through the whole mess with um, HB2, which was right. the bathroom bill. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there, transphobia was just let loose. And, you know, we really had a, a just a generalized sense that, uh, you know, the state did not have our backs. And, you know, you really did not know, um, you know, how protected, how protected you were. So it was very much of a different environment living in what's called the Tar Heel State than, than in California. Did you run into uh, homophobia during the divorce process? No. And in fact, one of the things that, I mean, this sounds crazy to say, like one of the things that I liked about the divorce process, which is like, that's, that's odd, but you know, <laughs> I, I appreciated the fact that we had to go through the exact same process that an opposite sex couple would. And this was completely unfamiliar to me. And the laws vary state by state. So in North Carolina, you have to be legally separated for a year, and uh, and then you can be divorced. And generally, people engage lawyers, and you do a, did you do you? a financial settlement. We did. We each mm-hmm. did. You know, I remember early on, Jim said, "Oh, let's get one lawyer for the two of us." You know, he or she can just like hammer it out. But then it became clearer that we had different interests, and uh, we needed to protect them. Uh, so there was something comforting about the fact that we were forced to, you know, be treated like any other couple. Yeah. Um, of course, 
you know, that was painful. States like this, where they have this year-long legal separation, it's it's oddly enough, it's a way to sort of reinforce, you know, you know I'm going to say in air quotes, family values, because they are hoping that within that year, you will decide not to divorce. They're hoping right. to support the family and to support the unit. And in one way, I can appreciate that. You know, it certainly, you know, it gave us time, you know, before um, before that divorce was final. Yeah. And I imagine for some couples, they use that time in, in, in a different way, and they and they do reconcile. You know, that's that was one of the major differences to me than the two other, quote, breakups I've had, where there was no process. You just had, you know, sort of the emotional process with your with your partner. Um, I didn't own property with either of them either. And so it was much simpler. This was complicated, but this was like, this was an equal process to anyone else. Uh, had they updated the forms yet? <laughs> they had not. So you were still, there were still had to be a wife? There still had to be a wife, right. um, if, if I recall. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I don't, I, and I don't recall who the wife I wasn't going to ask. <laughs> that's, you, that's too low you, even for me. Uh, but you know, when when we first got married, my my late mother, so she was like, "How can there not be a wife if you're married?" You know, <laughs> and you know, as and it, it was just like part of the definition of a married couple. Of course, there's a husband and there's a wife. Of course, you know, and she wanted to know the answer, and as much as I tried to explain to her, no, we're actually both husbands. We have um, you know a variety of different roles in our outer lives and in our inner lives i'm not telling you anything mom yeah i know i know plenty of straight married couples where there are only husbands but that's different <laughs> that's a different man you said earlier that uh you didn't know anything about this process and i assume well i don't know anything about that process what was the first thing you did when you decide to yourself okay i i want to get divorced To be honest, John, before I made that decision, I decided I needed to learn about the process. And so okay. I did a fair amount of reading, and I actually consulted with a lawyer even before I had made up my mind to do so. And, yeah, and she, gave me, she gave me some very good advice. You know, part of it was don't be the one to leave the premises. You know, she said you know, it would entail, you know, physically moving out one of you physically moving out but she recommended that it not be me mm -hmm. and and then having this period of of a one-year separation followed by followed by the divorce and sort of the nuts and bolts of how this would work so i understood pretty clearly uh what what the road ahead could look like should i choose to do that um and also say i i had a friend in new york a, a very good woman friend laura who had recently divorced her husband. And she was my, I'm, I call her my divorce coach. So on a, in an emotional way, she, um, she listened to me. She gave me advice based on her experience. It was, it was, you know, if I were in AA, she would have been my sponsor type of thing. And that was, that was very helpful because she understood exactly what I was going through. And, you know, and, you know, it's a little bit interesting to me as I talk about this because I haven't talked about it in this way before that, you know, I chose a straight woman to be my divorce coach, mm -hmm. but I did. When we look at gay life uh, and we look at the changes that have happened over the course of the last, I don't know, several decades, um, we're, we're in a place now where 
gay men have the opportunity to take so many different paths in their lives. They can take the path that was perhaps the only one available to them 30 years ago of remaining single, maybe having some kind of a partnership, etc. They can get married. They can, you know, very relevant to, to our podcast, they can have children. They cannot mm-hmm. have children. All of these avenues are open to them. Um, and... I don't think that it is sound to say, because we now can, we must. But I would ask you, having had the experience of a marriage and also of a divorce, how have you come away looking at what marriage is as an institution and you know what value it has independent of gay or straight? What's it for? I think fundamentally it is emblematic of what we in our society understand to be a committed couple. And I was really surprised after Jim and I legally married how different it felt when we were being um, re- referred to as, as husbands. It felt different when we were filing taxes as a married couple and, uh, and taking advantage of the, you know, the marriage benefit as, as, as a married couple. It was really... Um, institutional um, support for this relationship and and personal support in, in a different way uh, so that was surprising to me yeah I had you know in in the years when before Obergefell the, the Supreme Court case you know a lot of my public speaking and writing was about marriage and always cautioning people to think about you know why are you getting married uh, are you getting married just because you can now is it right. a political statement you know, what are the financial impacts? You know, if you have children, you know, how, how will they be you know, protected? You know, who will, you know, and adoptions and so on and so forth. There were so many questions. And, you know, early on, people were just like quickly out of the gate and getting married. And um, yeah, many of those, I'll call them the early marrieds, you know, they, they ran aground um, fairly quickly. I think we're now seeing sort of stabilized numbers where, you know, in the end, the percentage of, same-sex couples who divorce will be about the same as opposite sex over time, which is to say about 50%. You're not going to come out and say it's uh, an ultimate goal that everyone should have. I'm never going to say that because I don't think on, you know, I do give sort of generalized relationship advice and I would never say this, you know, there's one size fits all. There's not. It really, it really depends on, you know, on where you are in the life cycle. It, it's very different for someone, you know, who's in, their 20s versus someone who's in midlife, you know, where there, you know, there may be, again, where there may be kids, where there may be other assets, Mm -hmm. um, um, how you understand your relationship, the type of support you're already getting. Um, Do you want to have a wedding? And, you know, more and more people do. And that's, uh, and when they do, I think that's fantastic. Are you guys, are you guys married? We are married. We, we got married in 2013. 2013. Uh, 2013. And 14. Well, right. So, so we, we had two weddings, right. actually. We had to close the deal uh, civilly quickly because of various visa-related issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we had the proper, you know, wedding with the with the non-food truck food and and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and a few many celebrities. That's right. It was star- oh, it was star-studded. Well, it was yeah. in it was in Tel Aviv, but by Tel Aviv standards, it was it was star-studded.
Gaddy Square, the Gay Dads podcast. We're taking a break from the interview with uh, Stephen. Jan is here with Alex. Hello. This Hi. would be sort of the intermission where you go to the bathroom, to the bathroom or whatever, yeah. but since you're probably driving, please don't go to the bathroom. <laughs> Wait, you know what the so, best thing about our wedding was? Was that when the wedding was completely over and everyone left, we found the huge cake. Yeah, we forgot the we cake. We forgot the cake, which was awesome. So I we ate it. it by ourselves. By hand, with our hands. It was great. I can't stop thinking about the homophobic story with uh, about the accident that Stephen told us in the interview in North Carolina. You know, we live in a bubble, Alex. We live in a bubble. We absolutely live in a bubble. And uh, but, but I think that... On one hand, it's true, and we need to make sure that we don't forget that. But on the other hand, bubbles are not as closed as they used to be because of things like podcasts and social media, etc. And yeah. there's something very valuable about us living our lives in this kind of um, comfortable, open, casual way because yeah. it does bleed out to the rest of the world. And I'll say that there's something in some ways more valuable about just living our lives than there is about shouting about our lives. Meaning the activism is absolutely necessary, but so is the people who simply get up every morning and do their gay lives. Because yeah. those things are also seen by the outside world because of the way technology works these days. And I think that it provides a wonderful example. I also thought about what he talked about involving lawyers Yeah. When everything is fine, like and when, when you are in love and want to get married, you don't think about this stuff. Like when is it appropriate to involve lawyers? I think it's yeah. so cold and ugly. So here's the thing. Okay. On this podcast, I think some people may know that I am Jewish, that both of us are Jewish. I know it's a secret. Um, but in traditional Jewish uh, history, culture, and law, there's such a focus on law. There's such a focus on policies. And that sometimes makes uh, Jewish tradition seem very cold. But here's the thing. Um, there's this concept of the ketubah. It is the marriage document. Um, it has existed in Jewish law for hundreds of years. And it is a document that obviously men and women, because this is only, you know, uh, established for straight couples, there's this document that men and women sign when they get married. And the thing is that if you go and you read the language of a ketubah, um, it is a marriage contract. It is a prenup in every way. Uh, it even establishes cash money value uh, that would go, it's always, again, it would always go to the woman should the man leave her. But My point is that there's something very beautiful that the society that surrounds you understands that things go wrong, even if you don't. You're starstruck and in love and, oh, I don't need a prenup and all this kind of stuff. And the society around you says, yeah, that's lovely. Sign here, initial here, sign here, right? And I actually think that there's something really valuable about that. So we have a uh, ketubah, my husband and I. Uh, it doesn't really have, we're looking at it right now on the wall, it's very pretty. It doesn't really have much in the way of, you know, financial language, et cetera. But I do think that the concept is is sound. Uh, we can't trust ourselves to really understand what the future will be. And that's an argument for get the damn lawyers, do the document, and then forget about it. I don't think we're ever going to get divorced. I don't after, think so either. After like, uh, well, how, how many years we are together? 14? Well, right. But how many years are we 30. married? Uh, Six? <laughs> Six? Something like that. Yeah. Um, so 
even if we are, I don't think that I'll, this is what I'm going to be, like what I care about. Like you take the house, you take everything, just... Who the, oh, oh, well, first just, of all, just give all, me the kids. For, yeah, ah, <laughs> so okay, this is getting a little bit uncomfortable. Okay, but no. but no, but look seriously, I I think that that's part of the point. People have established value in so many different ways, and when you feel as we felt when we got married, and as I think I hope we both feel today, we can't we can't think about what will happen if. God forbid we decide that we can't be together anymore. We don't know what it would mean to unravel this life that we have created together. And so there's a, an idea that says, figure that out ahead of time. Let's go back to the interview with Stephen. Uh, coming up next, when divorce becomes ugly and will he get married again? Oh, it's like a cliffhanger. Um, what you got? So when do you think divorce becomes ugly? And if, <laughs> if there's a way to fix it? Or is there the way Avoid for it, it. To, yeah, to not be ugly? I'm thinking about how much to share on that. Um, I can only really speak to my case. You know, some, and some, you know, some divorces are terribly ugly. I just, uh, I just wrote a piece um, for the Washington Post about Melissa Etheridge's divorce, which was hideous. In, you know, in every possible way, they were both just hideous with each other. It, it was, you know, and sort of, unfortunately, you know, made the point that ugliness and, and divorce, you know, do not belong to any particular camp. Money and kids are often, you know, two of the um, challenges for, for divorcing couples. And how pets. To, um, how to no. reconcile that you know i'll just say you know i learned two of the things that i learned that would that would have mitigated this ugliness was first of all one was the importance of a prenuptial agreement and it's so ironic guys i mean i talked on tv and radio and everywhere about talk to a lawyer about whether a prenup would um would be useful for you in, in the event that you know you divorced we had we had a series of verbal agreements we did not have a legal agreement, and um, yeah, that's what came to make for such ugliness. Um, you know, and so, in a way, that the planning that goes into it, I think, would have would have um, lessened some of the pain that came after. But you know, I never imagined. I never imagined that we would divorce. I never imagined that our sort of verbal agreements. We wouldn't both, um, you know, stay stay true to them, right? Um, but because of the way our incomes were, Jim Jim was very um, Jim had a legal right to sue me for alimony, and that right. became that became a thing. Um, you know, the other the other issue was was more peculiar to us, but we had some dogs, and the actual biggest bone of contention, if I can. Yeah, that. <laughs> a little bit of a pun, but we'll let that go. Yes, yes. Was over Zoe, our Jack Russell Terrier. She was his dog originally, and she went on his side of the column, but then he gave her to me. And I've since learned that there are things called pet nuptials where, you know, um, you kind of discuss the future of the dog and the support of the dog or any pet um, ahead of time, much as um, child custody can sometimes be yeah. um, outlined in that way. So, you know, so those, those are things that I, you know, that I now know more about, you know, you know, 
will I the next time take my own advice? You know, that remains to be seen. <laughs> will there be a next time? That remains to be seen. Um, <laughs> so I, I will say, you know, I am, you know, I am, I am open-hearted and, uh, you know, and dating and looking for another long-term committed relationship, whether or not it takes the form of a legal marriage or <laughs> um, long-time companions, as I think you said, Alex, you know, that, <laughs> that, that will be a discussion. Got it. Will you be more hesitant to, to get married? I don't think so. I think that, you know, when the heart speaks... You know, the rest of the body follows, and that's mm -hmm. generally how, how I am. You know, I'll probably, you know, consult with a lawyer, but um, I don't think I'll be hesitant when the time comes. I see. So you mentioned pets, and I think it's a, it's a very interesting issue for us because many gay couples who get married first have pets, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I look at my pets, and I think they are my kids. Right. Is there a way where you can actually share custody? Is that a thing? Currently, under most estate laws, pets are treated as personal property. They're like a television. They're like a car. Yeah, they're like your sofa. Um, and there's, there's no consideration to sort of the question of the best interest of the pet or anything like that, right. but that is changing. And there, there are three States now where that has changed and there's kind of just a general tone in various other States. Oh, we got to know which States yeah. they are now. Now we're really curious. Do you know offhand? Yeah, I, I don't know offhand, which is why I didn't, um, well, that's right. look it up. We'll look right it up. But, uh, <laughs> um, I can I can take a look. If one of them um, isn't California, I'll be yeah, shocked. California shocked. Must be. Now, one of them is California. Of course I mean, it is. One, I think that was the beginning of 2018. I did a column on our dog for the New York Times last month, and it isn't there, but it's escaping me right now. <laughs> no problem. So, so, but more and more legal thought is that the best interests of the animal should should be considered. Um, not that um, you know a dog or a cat or a guinea pig can you know go up and say anything to a judge, but um, But I think it's a really qualitative change in, in how we think about them and how important they are to us in our families. And I think, you know, especially for many queer people, they are our kids. I mean, um, uh, I'll tell you, Zoe, um, Zoe just died last week. And oh, um, sorry, because the, heart, the heartbreak about losing her uh, has been overwhelming. And that is only um, a, test, a testament to how much She was loved. Yeah. We're sorry to hear it. We've been through it very recently ourselves. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I want to talk about the terminology, the divorced, the words. Mm -hmm. um, on, also because you mentioned it in your article that you wrote for the Atlantic about your divorce. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it, and I think it's kind of related to some of your personal columns that you write that are very mm -hmm. educational to people. You said that... Uh, People around you called it, you, you broke up or you split. They didn't use the word divorce. Mm -hmm. Do you think we have a responsibility or at least the gay divorced people have some sort of a responsibility to correct people or? You know, I, I, think, I think earlier I remember, this was especially true here in North Carolina, our new friends didn't know how to refer to us as part of a couple. And we were joking about the various ways that, that you can do that. And they tended to sort of stumble to... Friends, you know, just their friends in, in quotes. And, yes. um, you know, and so part of, I think part of what many gay people were doing then was to educate by saying, no, you know, we're partners or, you know, 
were companions or were spouses, you know, to really sort of put forward the language that that they preferred. And uh, and then I so then I found you know after we separated, many people didn't really understand that we were going to have to go through a divorce process, and this included many of our gay friends too. You know, they just kind of thought you're going to do that gay two snaps and, you know, it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because there just haven't been that many individuals who have done this. And so so we I kept hearing, you know, as though we were like 16 year old teenagers who, oh, they split up. They broke it off. It was, right. um, you know, it was language that um, really wasn't commensurate with the legal process and and the institution. And uh, honestly, I didn't really have the wherewithal at the time to go about um, either correcting people or you know making suggestions. It was um, it was a very it was a very dark hard period for me. But that is why I wrote about it in the Atlantic um, you know, several months ago because I know that uh, we were not alone in in going through that and that you know this was a really good example of our straight and gay friends just not knowing what the terminology is. And you know that's 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 so much of what I, I I do in my work. Talk to people about language, how language confers respect, why words matter. But this is all part of an information process that you know that many of us need to do and that I, I try to help to help on from the sidelines. Would you say you encourage? Because I think the same problem still exists for for the ter- for the terminology of married or husband, my husband instead of my partner or whatever. Do you encourage people to uh, to use the terms, or or it doesn't matter? Um, my own feelings about this are that when when two people are legally married, they they are entitled to use. Um, husband and wife as any other married couple would mm-hmm. now not all married couples like that there's a there's a gendered notion to that there's sort of other associations with husband and wife that um you know and especially you know my some of my lesbian friends really do not like either of them being called a wife um you know and will use spouse spouse is a, is a very good stand-in because it, it also has some of that legal uh legal and institutional support in it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people, you know, who have been together for decades, they may still want to refer to themselves as partners. So, you know, again, it's it's personal choice, but I think it's really important to recognize that the institution of marriage grants a variety of rights, and one of them is to use husband and wife. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if I may push back... It, you it, may. It, I know. It doesn't. <laughs> I mean, marriage well, is a legal uh, construct, and we certainly don't want to be talking about it within the framework of religion, right? We don't mm-hmm. want to do that, so let's toss religion out here. Right. And in terms of a state or any kind of federal law... Yep. <laughs> you know, the wedding vows do not do not specifically say that, nor, do, nor does any state law. You know, it's when you look at the definition of husband or wife... You know, in, in, and, and this was a big change, like in the Oxford English Dictionary and then all the other dictionaries. A, you know, a husband is now someone who is married. It used to be a husband is someone who is married to a woman. Oh, interesting. So, the, so that was, that was you know, in, in the way that language matters, that was very significant, that shift. And that, that occurred before the legalization of same-sex marriage in this country. Right. So it was the way that we kind of got a, you know, rightfully got ahead there. Um 
I think that we all sort of create our own, we create our own partnerships, our own relationships. There are, you know, there really aren't cookie cutter marriages. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's certain differences when you have two men um, and, you know, sort of some of the generalized characteristics about, about fellows and um, vice versa for, for for two women and, and for others. But I don't think we should ever, I don't like ever assuming that I know very much about anyone's marriage other than what they tell me. And that um, a marriage, you know, I used to say marriage is a marriage is a marriage. Well, you know, in terms of married couples, there's just so much um, individual and couple difference. Right. Agreed. I think you have I think you have a question behind your question, but I'm not sure what it is. Look, I have, and I know we're running out of time, but you're fascinating to me and I like talking to you, so I'm just going to make my husband's life a little bit more miserable. Um, I guess I have been so fortunate in what my gay life has been and how it has developed that with that has come a kind of comfort and willingness to embrace not people who hate me, but people who utterly and completely do not understand me. And when I look at this need that we seem to have to um, push language and push definitions on people who uh, have a long way to go, I worry that what we're doing is we're not we're not allowing them to discover this on their own. They're not we're not we're not giving them the space and the time to say, as I experience gay married couples and men with kids, you know, gay men with kids and just gays in general, I'm going to develop this understanding. Instead, we're we're almost using a 1984 style model of saying, this is the language, you will use this now, and that will propagate down into your very soul. I have my doubts about that. Well, you know, I think a related a related point about that is, and, and what you're saying is kind of like there's this downward you know, pressure to do do it a certain way. I am seeing, you know, especially among twenty somethings and thirty somethings, a much more um, retro approach to their weddings and to their roles in married life. Um, one of the best examples being that among same sex couples. One of them is just, is taking the last name of the other and abandoning his, her, or their wow. family name. So in in a very well, now we're back in like 1954, <laughs> right. and yet I understand that in a certain respect. And I learned this actually I learned this lesson from my sister and her wife, who hyphenated their their names 30 years ago when when they partnered and then married. But they wanted to be seen as a very visible family unit with one name, one identity, and our names are our identities. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm a believer in choice, but I am definitely seeing, you know, sort of this, 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 this shift. Right. That's fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Stephen, so thank you so much for this. This, is, this was really great. Yes. Thank you so much. No, my, my pleasure, to, um, truly. And, and, and you were right. This was, this was actually... Um, harder for me to do than I had anticipated. Um, not, not, not at all because of you, just because I have not actually spoken. Right. Yeah, well, no, y- yes, it was because we are a crucible here at Daddy Squared. <laughs> interviewing. Alex, you, Alex, it's you. Jan is the sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> I see this whole relationship even though I can't actually see you. <laughs> 
That was the interview with Stephen Petro. Thank you so much, Stephen, for sharing your story with us. Alex, um, I thought about pet nuptials, pet custody. Right. Did we ever do the research of uh, which well, states? Uh, uh, we tried. Um, so he had said that there are three states. Mm-hmm. I found one. I'll bet nobody can guess which state it would it's be. It's not California? Of course it's California. <laughs> California is the wackiest state in the union, and I love living here. Um, but yes, California established um, a principle in law, a bill, uh, wherein pets can be treated as more than uh, physical property, and that judges are uh, allowed and encouraged to consider at least as part and balance of the question uh, what's best for the pet. So right. there's, I don't know oh, what the oh, other they two can states do the are. ultimate test, which is uh, the couple standing on the opposite side of the room, both call the pet and yeah. the, the pet it's comes bullshit. to... It's bullshit. No, it's not sorry, it's bullshit. Work. Because first of all, because I would just all of jam a per- steak into my pocket. All, all, of our, <laughs> all of the pets in history will come to me. That's in such our bullshit. <laughs> my God, you have a lot of nerve. First of all, Dreyfus would have come to me. I don't care <laughs> what... Uh, not anyway. sure about that. Oh, man. Um, well, I have to say that he doesn't have kids, yes. so that's the only thing that if some of our listeners who, God forbid, considering divorce. <laughs> God forbid considering divorce. I understand, I really do understand that for some couples, it's not so much God forbid. For some couples, it's like, you know what? This was not the right grouping and it's best for us not to be together anymore. So for those people, I actually hope for the best in their getting divorced. And, and you know, I think that uh, a, a question that I tried to start with at the very beginning of the interview uh, underlies all of this, which is, it's really hard to get comfortable with the idea of gay divorce when gay marriage was so hard fought. You know, mm-hmm. we, we finally uh, achieved it and now you're just getting divorced. Well, that's true. But on the other hand, what we fought for was the right to be like everybody else. And this is part of being like everybody else. So, you know. Yeah. That is good. The other thing I wanted to mention was something that we talked about near the end, which was this, uh, it's a bit of a soapbox of mine. It's something that's near and dear to my heart, which is that almost every gay man that I know and lesbian woman that I know has felt very strongly that uh, saying things like domestic partnership and other forms of legal relationship was not good enough. I'm one of those people. Of course, I believed that gay marriage, that marriage belonged as much to you and me, Jan, as it does to any straight couple. That said, I think that one of the things we have to be really careful about is to be sensitive to the idea that there are many, many people there out there who don't hate us for who we are, but just aren't yet comfortable with this tremendous change in our society. I don't mean to say that we should go along with them and not have gay marriage. Of course we need to have gay marriage. But we have to be gentle with these people because we want them to be in our camp. We don't want them to leave us and go to the opposite extreme and, and, you know, dismiss us from the world. And so that means that when I meet somebody who says something to me like, well, I, I really want you to live your life and be happy, but, you know, I'm not really comfortable with the idea of marriage because marriage is between a man and a woman and the Bible and the blah, 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 blah. If they're not saying it to me in a hateful way, I'm going to say to them, look, I understand where you're coming from and I don't want to make you uncomfortable. 
but I do want to tell you what my marriage is like. And I do want to tell you what, what my life is like now that I have achieved the ability to marry and how much better it is for me. And in some ways, how much better I think it is for society. Try to bring them in instead of pushing them out and saying, well, you're ignorant and you're a fool and I can't interact with you because you don't accept gay marriage. It's a big difference. You should run for the government. Of what? I don't know of what. The current government is taken already by a lunatic. Um, And by the way, if I may say, why was Donald Trump elected president? I'm not kidding. I think that the reason why is because our side made a huge mistake. And the huge mistake we made Here we go. was we got up on our high horse and we screamed and yelled about how everybody from gay men to trans people to, to everybody else needs to be treated this way and talked about that way. And all of that is true, but we rejected people who would have voted for Hillary in a minute. We excluded them. It was a huge mistake. That was Alex with his tram-trum. Tra- tram-trum? Tram-trum. That was my tram-trum. Ta- that was my tantrum of the episode. Daddy, sqr.com. I guess this is <laughs> this is it from us today. Um, I hope you enjoyed this uh, wonderful conversation with uh, Stephen Petro. All of the references, the articles that we talked about during this episode are existing on our website. If you want to see them and read them, just go to daddysqr.com. And, you know, Alex, I want to call out dads and prospective dads who want to join the Daddy Squared world and write a blog or something or share the story and experience and would like to contribute in any form. Um, please write to us at hello at daddysqr.com. You can also leave us a message or text us at 213-793-8939. It means so much for us to be a community instead of just uh, Jan and Alex blathering on on a podcast. Please join us in any way you feel you can. That's it. I'll see you next week. Bye. Well, I'll see you right after we press stop. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. If you're thinking about having kids, start your search at loveisfamily.com by ORM Fertility. For over 30 years, ORM Fertility has been at the forefront of fertility services, providing personalized care and helping all family types grow. ORM are honored to be a trusted resource for the gay community on their journey to parenthood and are now sharing all they know with you at loveisfamily.com. ORM's expert team gives gay parents-to-be all the information they need and guides them through their unique fertility journey, providing expertise, education, and support every step of the way. Over a thousand gay couples and singles from all over the world have started or grown their family with ORM's support and fertility and financial expertise. Find out more at loveisfamily.com. ORM Fertility's online resource for gay dads and LGBTQ plus family building. That is weird. So a gay couple in Australia are father of one child through surrogacy, four child through co-parenting with two lesbian couples, and five other children through identity release sperm donation, which we call known sperm, sperm donor. Known sperm donor. 
Can you do the Don- donor. Do- donor. Do it again. What we call what we call known sperm donor. Donor. Anilo de la Donor. Donor. Okay. What we call what we call known sperm donor. Donor. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Known sperm donor. Why is it? Uh, er, it's an er at the end. Donor. Not an R. It's not radar. Okay. It's donor. Donor. Caja? Yeah. What? <laughs> What we call what we call non sperm non. <laughs> <laughs> we should just leave this entire thing in there. What we what we call what we call non sperm donor. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> Still wrong. <laughs> All right, come on. Let's just <laughs> come on. Fine. All right. <laughs> Great. Okay, fine. Known, sper- known sperm donor. Yes. Can you do the math? 